All right. Let's see if we get everything going here. Nope. Singing. Ah, there is a nursery. Marcia says she's going to take nursery. So if you would like to, to, to utilize a nursery, um, Marcia will be um, going back to the other side to where the nursery is. Okay, and while that's all going on, um, okay, we're good. We got a lot of technical stuff going on today. We got not only that, not only that, but now I've, we're being published, we're being broadcast live in, in North Greenville today. So Gabrielle called me a little bit earlier and said she wasn't able to get out because her ride is, um, is, is away. And so, are you there? Are you there? Oh, she is, but I can't hear her. That's good. We turned the volume way down on you. All right. Anyways, so kind of fun. Technology is an amazing thing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, when I was looking at new websites, um, we're with HostMonster right now. How many of them, when they found out that we're putting messages online, they said, wait, 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 you can't do that. And so why can't we? Isn't it funny to think of how much stuff is out there? Well, the, and so, but some of them will let us do the, the, the messages online now, but they don't want live broadcasting. They don't want, what do they call that? Um, Streaming, live streaming, and because it takes more time. But here we go. We're on a cell phone, and we're live streaming. <laughs> so, anyways, it's amazing stuff. All right, we have started a few weeks ago a new series on knowing God, the attributes of God, technically looking at God, who he is, what he has done. Um, and worship, if you would, um, worship is the outward display of us celebrating who God is, in what he has done. It's acknowledging who he is and what he has done. And so, in a sense, this, this quest that we begin looking at um, God is, is the same, in a sense, the same quest. And if you remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago and we went into knowing God, the quest, we said that one of the, the, the responses, one of the effects of us knowing God and finding God and seeking God and getting to know him better is that it would increase our desire to worship him. And so I I pray that as we go through this, that this isn't just technical knowledge. This isn't going to be just information about God that kind of gets added to your um, knowledge warehouse in your your brain, but that this is applicable knowledge, that this is knowledge that is going to cause you to become more astounded with God, who God is and what he has done in his grace in your life. Because honestly, the more we even look at the holiness of God, the greater it ought to become noticeable to me my sinfulness. The more that I find his love, the more I realize how selfish I am. I hope that all makes sense. And so last week we began looking at the existence of God and the exclusiveness of God, and we'll come to that in a moment. And the reason that we were looking at that, I said, was because I think even more in our culture, we have become to live in this, this day of this balance between out-and-out atheism and out-and-out pluralism or polytheism. And polytheism really is just a castration of God's anyway, because if, if there are multiple ways to God, then God is not powerful anyway. And so that really is just another form of really becoming atheistic anyway, because we make God in our image. And, and so we, we make God the God that we want to worship. This is the kind of God that we want, and so therefore... So why become him? So really, in a sense, he's no God at all. Um, and so that's just kind of a practical atheism, if you would. 
And so we live in a culture that does that today. I mean, it's not back into the original foundations where we had this Judeo-Christian culture where everybody understood God. And if you look back, and we can debate whether the, the founding fathers of the United States were Christians or not, but I, don't, I think that the fact is, with, without a doubt, we can at least agree on the fact that they were God-fearing individuals, that they, they gave credence to the Creator God. They gave credence to a sovereign being, if you would, who was over the affairs of men. Now, whether that was Jesus Christ as the Creator God, whether that was just a Judeo-Christian out-and-out God, I don't know. It's interesting to me as well, um, a couple people have brought to my attention some songs that, that would have fit perfect last week. Um, two songs um, called um, God Is. Is that what God is? There is a God. There is a God. One, one is a Christian song, There Is a God, but one is a country song, There Is a God. By Leanne Womack. Anyways, um, I, I went to the website to see whether I could recommend the album. And anyway, she's just a country singer, and so no, I don't re- recommend the album. But the song is really kind of cold. Someone let me listen to it. And, and it's really, though, and I, I could become negative on this, okay? Now, understand, I'm, I'm excited about it because it's being sung in the secular realm out there on public stations. But the other side is I can see how in our culture it's just a what? It's... It, it's, well, it's just a, right, God is just a, a concept, and this in, concept of intelligent design, which we are, in a sense, talking a little bit of the concepts of, it's really important from the perspective that there is a God. But we've got to be careful, because as believers, we understand it's not just about intelligent design. It's not just about that there is this sovereign being who may be my shoe. You know, I mean, it sounds really weird, doesn't it? But you can go to Alcoholics Anonymous, which was built upon the foundations of Christianity, but now the 12 points have nothing to do with Christianity. They have everything to do with this higher power who could be anything you want it to be. And so we've got to understand that as we look at this, that this existence of a God is just not this blasé being, but as we're going to look at today as well, there's going to be this exclusiveness, this exclusivity of this God and who he is. And so last week we looked at the existence of God, and, and we said that we're going to be moving into in this, in this, the exclusiveness of God, and we looked at the biblical argument, the cosmological argument, and said that we would be getting into the spiritual argument as well. As we looked at the biblical argument, we said it was a cyclical argument, but that the testimony of the Bible declares that there is a God. And so we looked at two verses, because the, the, the topic is so much bigger right now. But there are endless verses that, that talk about the fact that there is a God. In fact, there are over 4,400 4, verses in the Bible that just use the word God by itself. Now, we're not talking about just Jesus. We're not talking about Yahweh. We're talking about just the G-O-D word, God. Okay? In the cosmological argument, we saw that the order of the universe declares that there is a God. And so we talked about the universe, the order of the universe as it is. We talked about the earth. We talked about the, the fact of the air and the, 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 the components of air. We talked about the, the earth itself. We talked about water and how each of those things, if you just look at them in detail, clearly there's no way you can say there, there is no God. And we looked at the, the human body. We looked at the eye. And remember, we talked about um, the RPE cells, the, how the, the, you had the photo, photo sensor, photoreceptor cells that, uh, that are continually being um, regenerated. They're, they're becoming new ones being built, and they're being pushed down in the stack. And so the stack, in a sense, is getting bigger, except for the fact that God designed, or that there are, at the bottom of the, the eye, these other cells, the, the RPE cells, the, the, the epithelial, all right? 
epithelial. I knew I, I, knew I was going to mess it up. We, we talk, Steve and I talk about it because it's a Greek word. And so in the Greek, I would say epi, epi, epithelial because of the, the prefix of it. But it's epithelial in English. Anyways, the epithelial cells that are down there that are swallowing up the old cells. Isn't that just an amazing thing that it just kind of happened that way and evolved that way through time, chance, and natural circumstances? That at the same time that the body decided that it needed to be stacking all these, these uh, photoreceptor cells that the body said at the exact same time, hey, we need to have something else that's going to eat up the old ones. And at the exact same time said, but it's going to require red blood cells, and so therefore we need to, we need to have this, this function in our body called a heart that's going to be developing all these red blood cells and pumping it through all these veins and arteries and corollary, uh, capillaries to the place where we really need it to happen. I haven't even got into the math side of all this, and I'm not going to do it. But, you know, maybe when we talk about God as the creator God, being the math major I am, I love the math side of it. And the, just the statistics alone of, of all these things are astronomical. And for people to say, well, no, I still think that, that's the problem. I think. Anyways, uh, it, it, we've got to go with one, one who knows. But we want to get into now today this, the spiritual argument, and we're going to, to finish out this, this side of it. And again, we're, we are just at this ocean. We are, we are just on the beach. We are just looking at the ocean and maybe standing right here on the edge of the, of the sand and the water, you know, where the, where the waves are lapping in and it's just getting a little bit of wet and we think, ooh, it feels really gooey on my toes. And this isn't really, we're not even getting into God right now. We're just getting in the fact that God exists. I'm standing there looking at the ocean saying, wow, this wasn't just in the books. There really is an ocean. For some of you, that's what this may be. It may be finally coming to the Atlantic Ocean shore or the Pacific Ocean shore, whichever shore you want to get to, and looking at the ocean or coming and looking at God, if you would, for the first time and really coming to grips with the fact that, you know what, I've been lied to all my life. Listen, for 23 years, I believed in evolution. It might have been 24 I remember sitting at the table. I can picture sitting at the table with Pastor Woody and, and Barry Quartz and fighting till I was blue in the face for evolution. I knew I was wrong, but I still wasn't going to admit it. But being challenged just to look at the data. Listen, I'm a science major. I'm a, I'm a computer science guy, mathematician. And they challenged me on just the logic of it all, just the data of it all. And it became a pet peeve of mine. I love studying this stuff out. I mean, this is mind-boggling because it's humbling to me. I, the more and more I see, the more I realize my own stupidity and ignorance and foolishness that I could have swallowed this stuff. But see, I'm beyond the pride side of it now. I, I've gone public on it, you know? You know, I'm, I, I've confessed my, my stupidity, and so it's okay. I'm, I'm on the Internet saying I'm, a, I'm an idiot, okay? So it's okay. So just, if this is you, if you struggle with coming over the, the precipice of this and understanding who God is and putting your toe in the water, I'm telling you, the water is great. It's, it's, it's fun. There, it, there's, 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 a, there's a real joy. Not only is it just mind-boggling to explore and to know that I'm never going to explore the final depths of it, but... To, to, to feel the surge of the, of the waves coming across, to feel the medicinal um, part of the salt in the water. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a kick. It's a, it's a, it's a real um, joy, ride, joy ride. And I, I don't want to make it seem so small, but there is that side of the joy of salvation that's really a part of it that I want you to get. It's, 
You, but you've got to come across the precipice. You've got you to get over the fear of maybe getting in the water, okay? And which means that you've got to get over the fear of saying that you might have been what? Wrong. Yeah. Because none of us want to admit that we're wrong. Okay, so anyways, the spiritual argument. So we talked about biblical argument. And in the spiritual argument, we're going to see that the composition of man declares that there is a God. So just I myself, by myself, not talking about my physical body, but my spiritual side, the composition of man declares that there is a God. Now, in that, we're going to look at two sides. First of all, we're going to look at the desire of man, and we're going to look at the design of man. Because in the desire of man, we know um, that man has a desire to worship God. Now, we're going to do a lot of letting our fingers do the walking through the, the pages of God. So let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. So Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. Again, there are going to be a lot of verses today, but a lot of the verses are going to be in the book of Isaiah, right around the same point. I tried to pick a lot of that were in the area so that we weren't just flying all over the place. But again, there are many passages in the scriptures that we can look at. Okay, but clearly, we read this passage last week, Matthew um, 1, beginning of, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, who hold it down, who don't want to omit it, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Remember, this is being written almost 2,000 years ago. For since the creation of the world... His, that is God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, although they knew God. Remember last week we talked about that? What's the word knew there? It's from Gnosko. That's right. Although they knew Him, they relationally, intimately understood that there was a God. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish, rebellious hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, in birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And I'm going to continue reading here. For this reason, God gave them up to the passions, to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in them, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, the fact is, the culmination of man rejecting God, the Creator God, is homosexuality. Is it any wonder that we see that being prevalent in our culture today? No. Why? Because back in the 1920s, we rejected the Creator God. We said we believe in evolution more than we believe in a Creator God. So is it any wonder that one generation later, in the 1960s, we took prayer out of school and Bible reading out of school? No, it kind of makes sense. And honestly, people talk about that. But why would I want a pagan... Why would I want an atheist leading my kid in prayer anyway? I have no idea who they're going to be praying to. And I have no idea what holy book they're going to read. Why? Because after 40 years, we taught them that there is no what? There is no creator God. There is no God. And so, the, um, so why would I want to do that? Well, 40 years later, after the 1960s, okay, what do we have happening? Well, we have today. 
We have kids killing kids. We have abortion on demand. We have divorce rates, even in the church, that equal or exceed the divorce rate in the secular realm. Why? Because we have ignored the Creator God. Okay? It's just an amazing thing. God says so. But what... What I want to draw out of here is this desire of man. Note the desire of man. Within man, there is this desire to do what? Worship something. And so even if I suppress the truth and I get rid of a creator God so that I don't have to be answered to this God, I still understand that there's this void within me to do what? To worship. Man's desire is to worship. And so if man will not worship the creator God, man's going to worship something. And so we're told way back here 2,000 years ago that, man, we're going to worship animals just like they do today. We're going to worship nature. Because we can't deny nature. We can't deny the fact that this is out there. We just have to redefine it. And so, therefore, we worship something. Turn back to the book of Isaiah. Remember I said there's going to be a lot of passages from the book of Isaiah today. I love Isaiah 40 to 48. Uh, I just... I can't say it is the favorite pa- my favorite passage, but it's close. Isaiah 40 to 48 is just just chock full of proof of of who God is and um, and who Jesus is and that Jesus is God that He's Yahweh in the flesh. In Isaiah 40, we're going to read a long passage here from 10 down to 31. Again, my words are meaningless; they're like chaff which the wind drives away. It's God's words that's so key, and it's so it's His word that we want to proclaim. And I believe it's his word that will bring conviction and and change in people as well. Beginning at verse 10, chapter 40 of Isaiah. It says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arms shall rule rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of Yahweh, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he make, take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are as counted as small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than anything, than nothing and worthless. Now, based upon all that, upon who all God is, look at verse 18. To whom, then, will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman... The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver, silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circles of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing, and makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall 
Shall they be planted? Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take uh, root in the earth. When he shall also blow on them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away with stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you seek? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from Yahweh, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of those eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does God say? Listen, I'm it. I'm the one who has done it all. Look unto me. I'm the one. But the fact is, when you refuse to do that, what's going to happen? What do the nations do? They make idols. They're going to get something to do. Why? Because man has a desire to worship. Isaiah 44. Beginning in verse 10. Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all gather, be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, they shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with a hammer, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water, and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass. Makes it like the figure of man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in his house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest and plants a pine and rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he shall take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and, takes, and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in a fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I have seen the fire, and the rest of it he makes into a god. He carves his own image, and so on and so forth. It goes on with it. What's the point? Man is so desperate to worship something that he, he's going to go out into the forest. He's going to cut down a tree. And he understands that with the same tree, he's going to do what? He's going to burn it, which means it's what? It's, tra- it's perishable. It's nothing. It has no power. It can't protect itself. And yet man by himself is going to do what? He's going to fashion it to be the God that he wants it to be. Yes? And then he's going to worship it. And so while he's worshiping God, the wood here, he's burning the wood over here and destroying it. Which means that man is what? Not just stupid. Not just stupid. But he has power over God. Do you get it? And isn't that the way we really like to have God? So that we have power over God. He's in our little genie bottle, and he comes out when 
when we rub it, and he does what we ask him to do. But for God to be the sovereign one, for God to be the one who's in control, and for me to have to be the one who has to adjust to God and his plan, uh, that kind of goes against the grain of my selfishness. Because I, like Satan, want to be the Most High. I want to be the God who's in control. And as Satan, we read, Lucifer says, I will be like the, the Most High. And ultimately, if we go back into the, the original sin, isn't that why Eve sinned? Isn't that why she fell? Because Satan said to her, listen, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to become like him. And so what was really the, the, the decision that was in the balance at that moment? To obey God or to become God? Which sounds more appealing to you? And the, 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 the Latter-day Saints, when they come to your door, they want you to believe that you can become God. That's why it's appealing to people. Listen, would you rather have to submit to God or become God? I mean, honestly, if it was real, if it was a real choice, if there was a really a choice out there, and you could, you could become God, you could become God's equal, which would you choose? Every one of us would say, I want to become God. In our nature, come on. You're all sinners. I don't want to admit it. I don't want to admit it. We all, one voice. I want to be God. That's my flesh. But the truth is, you can't. <laughs> there is only one God, and we're going to talk about the exclusiveness of God in just a moment. You're never going to become God. You can't become God. There is only one God. And so now you really only have one choice. You're going to submit to God or rebel against God. Because man desires to worship God. First Thessalonians chapter 1, you can turn there, but I'll read it to you. Paul was writing to the believers of Thessalonica, and he says to them, For they themselves, this is the people out there who heard your testimony, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve, serving the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. What, is, what happened there? Paul went out to the believers, to, to, not to the believers of Thessaloniki, but to the people of Thessaloniki, and, and as he witnessed to them, and they got saved, what did they really do? They turned. They turned from the gods they were serving to the living and true God. Even the Richard Dawkinses of this world, who proclaim that there is no God, the God delusion, have their God. And who is their God? Themselves. They're going to worship self. And if Richard Dawkins got saved, and I pray that he does, I pray that somewhere, somewhere, some, that the word of God passes through into his mind, and one day it clicks, and he understands the error of his ways, and, and, he, and, he, and he gets beautifully saved. That would be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be exciting? He has a good platform, that's exactly right. But he, like everybody else, like these believers in Thessaloniki, will have to turn from the idols that he was serving from his own God, which is himself, to serve the living and true God. And my question to you is, have you done that? Have you honestly turned from your God, whoever that was, whatever that was, to serve the living and true God? I remember my, my day. I remember that day. 
Have I been perfect? I haven't been perfect, but I remember the day that I, I rolled out of my bed and I went into my den and I cried my eyes out and I said, God, if you could save this wicked soul, I'm yours. Because I realized I was serving my own idols. I called it God. I knew who Jesus Christ was. I understood that he was a son of God. I understood that he died on a cross. I understood that he rose on the third day. But I also understood that I was serving Bob's own laws, my own, my own commandments. And I wanted God to be under, on, on my plane. And God brought to my reality that I wasn't serving and worshiping him. I was rather serving and worshiping the God that I wanted. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, are you playing a cultural game of Christianity, of Judeo-Christianity? Because God knows your heart and whether you're true or not. And one day the day will declare it whether it's real or not. And then it will be too late. Don't wait before you stand before his judgment seat. Man's desire. Man desires to worship something. Why? Because of man's design. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. First book of the Bible. We don't get very far into this. When we find out how God has created man. In fact, it was on the, the second day, right, that God created man? No, good, okay. All right, so you guys knew it wasn't the second day. What about the third day? No, what day was it? Six. Six, good job. All right, sixth day, all right? So on the sixth day, God created man. And so we look at verses 26 and 27 on the sixth day, where God says, let us make man in our what? Our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, drop down to chapter 2, and let's look at verse 7 there, what it says there. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, what that says in the Hebrew, okay, is that God breathed into him the ruach of life. The ruach. Ruach is the word in the Hebrew for not just wind or breath, but it's the word for spirit. And so we have the ruach hachadesh. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay. So when we talk about God's Holy Spirit, it's the ruach hachadesh. And so it is the spirit that is holy or set apart. I believe that what happened here is that God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. Turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good job, Andrew. John chapter 1. Okay, and we read that in the beginning, okay, another in this beginning thing, in Genesis chapter 1 we read in the beginning God, and in John chapter 1, we read, in the beginning, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know from the Greek, it really says what? God was the Word. Okay? And it's the other way around, which is more intensifying the fact that the deity of Jesus Christ, God was the Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the 
light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to who? Every man coming into the world. Do you remember what we read earlier in Romans chapter 1? How many people had knowledge of God? Everyone did. And everyone has the decision to make with, with this knowledge that they're going to use toward God. They're either going to receive it and accept it, or they're going to suppress it, right? And so here we're told as well that in this, this spirit of life, okay, that, that, that was breathed into man, Genesis chapter 2, in John chapter 1 we're told that, that it is light, in a sense, that is given to every man. It is that composition of man, it is the design of man, that man was made in the image of God. In John chapter 4, verse 24, we read that God is a what? Spirit. That God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, you don't have to go back to the book of Genesis, but I want you to go back in your mind to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, in those days of creation. In the first day, God created what? Light. Okay? No, first day, God created light. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but that was not the first day. That was just before the first day. But the first day, God created light, right? There was evening, there was morning the first day, and God said, you know, it is good, right? So that was the first day. The second day, he separates the water above from the waters beneath. What happens on the third day? He separates the dry land, makes the dry land appear out of the water, and as the dry land appears in the water, what else happens? Oh, Come on now, seeds. No, no seeds yet. Seeds are the produce of what? Plants. Thank you. Plants. This is pretty bad. We're going to do a message on, while well, we are going to do a message on creation in just a few weeks, so we'll have to spend some time on the day of creation and doing a little review here. Okay, so prepare yourself for that, okay? So anyways, so on the day three, the, 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 the vegetation appears, okay? Vegetation, plants appear, okay? On day four, he creates the? Sun, the moon, and the stars, right? On day five, the birds and the fish, okay, good. Day six, he makes the animals, the creeping things, and man. Now, there is a, a reason to go through that, because man, I believe, is made up of a body, soul, and a spirit, okay? In the book of First Thessalonians, Paul, in his final greeting, talks about this body, soul, spirit thing. But plants, which were created first have bodies. They eat, yes, they drink, they breathe. But do they communicate with one another? I mean, really talk. Do they have a, a form of communication with one another? No, some people think they do. Some people think that they, 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 they my plants thrive when I, when I talk to them and, and, and I'm very nice to them and stuff like that. Well, do you know why? Because plants absorb carbon dioxide. And so when you go over and talk to them, what are you doing? You're feeding them. You're giving them carbon dioxide. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Okay? And when you're being nice to them and you're washing the plants, you're opening up opportunities for photosynthesis to happen. And you're, and you're giving them water. You're giving them fertilizer. It just kind of makes sense. They're bodies. Okay? They have flesh. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that not all flesh is the same, but these, animal, these, these plants have flesh. And they are a living thing, if you would, from that perspective. But they don't have a soul. They don't communicate socially with one another. But animals, on the other hand, and this points me differently than a lot of Christians as well. I, I just, I, people have been so influenced by evolution, it's just mind-boggling to me. Anyways, 
Because if you believe in dichotomy, there's uh, trichotomous and dichotomous. Dichotomous believes that people are, are two things. They're material and immaterial. A trichotomous believes that man is three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I believe if you believe in that man is dichotomous, you're an evolutionist. Okay? Because that's what it comes from. It comes from that we are just an evolved animal. Okay? And we're not. So anyways, but animals have this, not only a body, not only do they eat, not only do they drink, not only do they breathe, but they also communicate. Okay? And I go hunting, I've got to be very still, even if a deer is not present, because I don't want the birds and the squirrels chattering, giving away the fact that man is in the forest. Bambi, don't come. Man is in the forest. And Thumper going, thump, 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 thump. Okay, anyways. Yeah, anyways. But the fact is that animals do communicate. It's amazing to listen to squirrels chatter and communicate. Different times of the year, their communication is a little bit different. Twice a year, there's the mating seasons, and so they, they chatter a lot, and they're, they're talking different ways, you know? And it's an amazing thing. And, and, and birds, crows, as they come, and they're cawing and stuff like that, they are communicating with one another. But when's the last time you saw a bunch of crows get together for a praise service? When's the last time a bunch of squirrels got together and, 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 and prayed? Animals don't have a desire to worship. Animals don't care where they came from or where they're going to go. But they do have a soul. They do have this personality. And as I remember in seminary talking about this, I went to a conservative seminary, and I remember bringing this up to my, my uh, theology professor, and he, he just looked at me and said, Mr. Corbin, you know, like, I can't believe you believe that. I was talking about my dog. My dog has personality. And he's trying to tell me, no, it was just a, it was just a result of his, um, oh, what do they call it? instincts, you know, that we've just kind of honed the instincts. And I was like, no, you've you got to know my dog. It's got personality. And I believe that you probably look at your dogs and understand, or your cats, cats have personality. Um, they need to be extinct. But anyways, but they, they, they have personalities, okay? And, 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 but, but animals have personalities, I mean, different squirrels are going to act different ways. But man, on the other side, isn't just an evolved animal. Man, as we saw, has a desire to worship. Think about it. No matter where you are in the world, man is setting up temples to something. They're spending money, tons of money, where they could really get the materialistic stuff so that they could worship this God, little g, not necessarily big g. It doesn't matter what it is. Why? Because man is made in the image and likeness of God, and God is a spirit. And he breathed into man the spirit of life. You are a spirit being. And so, therefore, you will have a desire to worship something. And if you refuse to worship God, there will always be a void in your life. There will always be something missing. You will always be hungering after something that's out there, because there will be this void that's there, and it's a God-sized void, if you would, because God placed it in you. He made you in His image and in His likeness, so that you can have fellowship with Him. And if you're trying to fill it with a tree that is overlaid with gold, it's not going to fill it. And if you're trying to fill it with a three-story, ten-room mansion, or a stretched limo, or whatever else you want to put into it, the rings, the earrings, the nose rings, the, 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 the belly button rings, whatever you're trying to fill that God-sized void with, it's not going to be filled. 
it's only going to be filled with God when you have that relationship with Him. Isaiah 42 says, Thus says the Lord God, thus says the God Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath, spirit, ruach, to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. Thus says the Lord, who does this, I have given you, if you would, spirit. And he's given light to every man that comes into the world, that we may know him. And so, again, as we transition now to the exclusiveness of God, quickly, I ask you, do you know God? Have you given your heart to him? Listen, jump in the water if you haven't. It's fun. Okay? The exclusiveness of God. We want to look quickly at the indicators of God's exclusiveness, which come from God's word, and the implications of God's exclusiveness, which is very important. First of all, God's declaration. We see in the book of Psalms 90, uh, verse 1 and 2, um, we looked at this last week, so I have it up here. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth in the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, which means what? Forever. You are what? You are God. Now, don't miss it. You are God. Who's he talking to? Yahweh. Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, when you see it in your Bible, is talking about the name of God. Capital L, little O, little R, little D, in the Hebrew is the word Adonai or Adonai, however you want to say that, which means master or Lord. But when you see the all capitals, it is the word Yahweh, which means the one who exists. I am that I am, as he referred to himself to Moses. And so it becomes this because the Jews were afraid of using God's name in vain, the third commandment, right? And so rather than using the name Yahweh, they would use the word Adonai. And so, for example, in, in the Shema, we read Shema Israel, Eloheinu Adonai, Eloheinu Echad. It says Shema, is, okay? And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But instead of saying Yahweh Adonai, or Yahweh Elohim, the Lord our God, they're going to say Adonai, Elohim Adonai. Because they're going to say Lord, rather, instead, because they're, they're afraid of using Yahweh's name in vain. That's not what God meant anyway. God didn't say, don't use my name. God said, just don't use it meaninglessly. But when we become legalists, when we're more worried about me, we don't really worry about God. And honestly, it's kind of a bummer if you never say my name. You know, if you start using a euthanism for me, or is that the right word, euthanism? A different name meaning mine, or whatever. Yeah, okay, euphemism. 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 Anyways, so instead of saying Bob, you, you say something else, you know, dog or something, you know, and um, just something in place of it. And so, I mean, what are you saying? The person's not what? Important. So that's how this Lord thing came into that, okay? And they just brought it into English translations the same way, afraid of using Yahweh's name, the Tetragamagon that it is. Okay, now let's go to the book of Isaiah again. Okay, you've been there. You know where it's at. Look back at it. We've got a lot of passages in Isaiah that we want to glance through real quick. Isaiah 43. We read that this morning in our Bible reading. Okay, we're just going to read two verses of it right now, though. Verses 10 and 11. Where Yahweh says, You are my witnesses, saith Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, what? Formed, neither shall there be after me, I, even I, am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. Remember that, we'll come back to that. But Yahweh says, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. When the next time a Jehovah Witness comes to your door, or a Mormon comes to your door, bring him here. 
You are my witnesses, saith Jehovah. Where do they get their name from? Right here. Isaiah 43, verse 10. They don't know that. Show it to them, though. You know, they get mad when you go to the Old Testament. But look at what it says right here. It says, Before me there was no God created, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am He. I am alone am God, right? But when they go to John chapter 1 and they read, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was God, they say that Jesus became God. That He was a little g. That He was God with a little g. He's just another God. And the fact is what? It's not true. He is God. And Yahweh says, beside me, there are no other gods. Okay? Very important. The exclusivity, the exclusiveness of God. God alone is God. Okay? Let's go on. Isaiah 44, verse 6 to 8. Hopefully you're right there. And you can look at it. It says, Thus saith Yahweh, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Yahweh of Shabbat, Yahweh of hosts. I am the first and the last beside me. There is no God. You get the point yet? And who can proclaim as I do? Let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from the time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Okay? Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Go on to chapter 45. Isaiah 45, verse 5 and 6. Where it says, I am Yahweh, there is no other, there is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am Yahweh, there is no other. If you didn't get it yet, drop down to verse 18, 18 to 22. For thus saith Yahweh, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh, there is no other. Look down to verse 22, or I'm sorry, verse 21, where he says, There is no other gods, what? Beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 46, verse 9, Remember the former things of old. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. What's the point? What's Yahweh saying? He's the only one. Okay? Now, we just grabbed a couple chapters in Isaiah. Okay? But clearly, Yahweh has grabbed the exclusiveness of being called God. That's important in our culture. Because very clearly, we're told in our culture that there are what? Multiple gods. There are multiple ways to God. There are multiple ways to get to heaven. But God says, that's not true. And we have got to be on guard in our culture. When our leaders are saying, as a chaplain in the military, they are continually being bombarded with the fact that they cannot pray in Jesus' name because we're in a pluralistic society. You need to pray for them. Pray for God-fearing chaplains that they will be able to stand up and, and fear God more than they fear man. But it's coming to a neighborhood near you soon. If the hate crimes bill passes, the, hate, the, 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 the speech bill that comes through, your speech will be curtailed by law. 
because you will be an offense if you proclaim the exclusiveness of God to others. Because the claiming the exclusiveness of God is to be what? Intolerant. Because if you say that your God is God alone and there is no other, then what are you saying about Allah? He's not God. What are you saying about Buddha? What about Confucius? What about all those Hindu gods? They're not gods. But Yahweh is God and God alone. Now, what's the implication of it? Very clearly, your salvation. Why? Because we read in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, For the grace of God that brings salvation to all men, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember those verses we just read in the book of Isaiah, where Yahweh says, besides me there is no Savior. Yahweh claims that He is the Savior alone. As He is God alone, there is nobody else who can save. Only He can save because only He is God. But here we read, we look for the, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible declare about that great God? How has He revealed Himself to us? It's Jesus Christ. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special, excuse me, special people, zealous for good works. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. Jesus says to his disciples, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him, Gnosko, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? You haven't known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you know what's being stated by Jesus at that point? He's God. He is the Father. Not just we're one in purpose, but he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not, hey, listen, I I represent everything the Father represents. Philip, haven't I been with you? Show us the Father. Philip, I've been with you. How can you say, show us the Father? I've been here. Now, I know it's mind-boggling. Because Jesus, while he was on the earth, got up a great while, yet it was before day, and he went out and prayed. Finish it. To the Father. And the Mormons are going to love to bring it, and Jehovah's Witnesses are going to love to bring it, and and my answer to that is what? I don't know. But you know what? I'm not God. So I don't need to know everything. God hasn't chosen to reveal everything to me. And you know what? That's really okay. (laughs) Because I'm not God. And I haven't worried about making God in my own image. Now, years ago I did. But I'm not now. I don't worry about making God in my image. I'm not worried about God fitting in my box. I'm worried about understanding God for who God declares himself to be. Does that make sense? And that's the difference. And so I challenge you again, are you wanting to know God? As we go through this this quest, do you want to know God for who he really is? Or are you looking forward to Bob or whoever speaks just confirming things that you always already knew anyway? Kind of 
patting you on the back for your own righteousness and your own understanding. My hunger, my passion, as I've talked weeks ago, is that I may know him, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah chabod of God on the earth, that I may know him in the power of his resurrections. And though I really don't want it, I do want it, the fellowship of his sufferings. Because as I put the verse up in the very beginning, where Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. True living, abundant living, comes from knowing God, from knowing Jesus Christ. If your passion is anything but, you're not going to get all there is to get that God desires for you to have. Again, it is the most stimulating relationship you can ever be in. And though my friends and though my family forsake me, the one who is closer than a brother never will. And he will always envelop me. And he will always reveal to me his character and his faithfulness. Acts chapter 4. We read, Let it be known to you all and all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given amongst, under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Now I trust, I hope, that all of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that, that challenge is mundane. But I don't know that. And I pray that today is the day of your salvation if you don't know him yet. Hebrews 11, verse 1, 3, and 6 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he, he is. They must believe in his existence. And they must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I close by asking you then, do you honestly believe that God exists? If you say yes, the question is, does your life reflect it? Does your life reveal it? You can say with your mouth, Jesus said these people worship me with their mouth, but they're what? Their hearts are far from me. Their lives don't reflect it. Their lives don't reveal it. Do you honestly believe that God exists? Secondly, do you honestly believe that God rewards those who seek him? And again, does your life reflect it? If you really believe it, then what would you honestly be doing with all your passion? Seeking God. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? Let's turn in our hymnals to 486. Come, you sinners.